Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Saturday morning Bible study. We're recording today from the North Star Cottage in New Jersey in the United States of America. And we are very grateful and happy that you all could join us. And our moderator today is Thomas from New York. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we'll start out with our poem from Mary Baker Eddy. Upward. I've watched in the azure the eagle's proud wing, his soaring majestic and feathersome flame, careening in liberty higher and higher, like genius unfolding a quenchless desire. Would a tear dim his eye, or pinion lose power? To gaze on the lark in her emerald bower, when higher he soareth to compass his rest, what vision so bright as the dream in his breast? God's eyes upon him, he penciled his path, whose omniscient notice the frail fledgling hath. Though lightnings be lurid and earthquakes may shock, he rides on the whirlwind or rests on the rock. My course. Like the eagles, oh, still it be high. Celestial the breezes that waft over its sky. God's eye is upon me. I am not alone. When onward and upward and heavenward born. So this is written in her early years, and this is from the Book of Poems, published in 1910 by Mary Baker Eddy. It's on page 18. What a wonderful prelude to Revelation. It is. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you, Tom. Stephanie was not alone. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting that at an early age, she recognized that she had a divine purpose, yeah. a divine mission. And that no matter what, she goes upward like that. Yes. Knowing she's not alone. God's eye is always on her. Hello, hello, Sari Nuta. Okay, anybody else? Well, I have a couple comments. So in the poem, she writes, uh, you know, about lightnings and earthquakes and whirlwinds. And, you know, um, I think of that like uh, we make make observations about what's going on in the world. Right. And um, so what? Because we're like the eagle, you know, God's eye is upon me. Gary mentioned you know, I am not alone. We are not alone, right? So God is ever present. Uh, so I thought this was amazing. So no matter what's going on in the world, um, God is present. It's beautiful. Thank you, Thomas. Yeah. Yes. And she rode the whirlwind above it, above all the earthquake and above all the the lightnings, and she rested on what? The rock. The rock, which we know is the Christ, the science. That's before she wrote the textbook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, that's what's so awesome, what you mentioned, that uh, she wrote this before she wrote the textbook. Um, if she could write something as beautiful as this, we can get so much out of it. Um, and wasn't, uh, that's kind of one one reason it interests me in the poem. It wasn't like, oh, she'd done all this work and written a textbook and all this other stuff, built a church and organization, all this sort of stuff. Um, and then she decides she's going to sit down and write a poem, you know. Um, 
this before she uh, really had done anything. Not sure how far back, but gives us an insight into her thinking. Right. Yep. Thank you. And of course, we know from her history, she was always looking Godward through all of her struggles. And you probably remember she was 45 years old when she had this incident in February of 1866, where she discovered that there was a science to this thing called Christianity. But she'd also say that God had been preparing her graciously. So throughout her entire life, her focus was on heavenly things, you know, the, the way of God and his ways. So. It's a good example for the rest of us who sometimes get bogged down in the pettiness and smallness of everyday life and circumstances. Can we rise above it and uh, find the superior intelligence of the universe that has the answer for everything, even the little things? So it's not being enslaved with our focus, focus downward. Thank you. <clears throat> Okay. All right. So, um, kind of continuing on this on the topic. Um, uh, so, I'll quote this. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. For he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm has gotten him the victory. Psalm 98, verse 1. So I hope, well, it's trying to get across a sense of joy. Um, you know, we may see or experience things that tell us the opposite. But, uh, you know, as uh, Mary Baker Eddie wrote in the poem, you know, God's eye is upon us and we are not alone. And it says here in Psalm 98, we should sing a new song. We should be joyful. Thank you. And thankful, uh, too. <laughs> yeah, Carrie sent me a couple of things to contribute on this. Um, one from Charles Spurgeon. There must be new songs. On new occasions of triumph, it would have been absurd for Miriam with her timbrel to conduct the music of the daughters of Israel to some old sonnet that they had learned in Egypt. Nay, an old song could not have spoken out the feelings of that generation, much less could it have served to utter a voice, the jubilant notes of which distant posterity should echo. They must have a new song while, while they cry, the one unto the other, and then the new song which they shall sing before the throne when the four and twenty elders and the four living creatures shall fall before God upon their faces and worship him for, from, forever and ever. Would that our ears would anticipate that tremendous burst of hallelujah, 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 the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That is good to think about and we could all hear that right in our hear that experience that why not that joyful cry and then also this from I guess an old journal in our time the right hand and holy arm of God have again been revealed and countless numbers who have been helped and healed through the teachings of Christian science are singing this new song the work in this community is but one tone in this universal song of thanksgiving. So that's a good reminder. We all better be singing a <clears throat> song of gratitude and joy. And there's a reason why we should all be singing a new song. And that is because progress is God's law. And the new song is progress. If you're not singing a new song, check your ch check your thoughts. See if you're actually making progress or not. 
Yeah, by singing a new song, you are making progress. Yeah. Joy and gratitude are two essential ingredients to any healing. So make sure you're singing no matter what. It was really here. Sorry. If you're really living this the science, then we have to have the thought that we are gaining something, even though sometimes it's not so clear, like oh I've I've demonstrated this or whatever, but there's you're gaining something every day if you're living it, if we are living it. Yeah. Yes, we are. Mrs. Eddie says, if you're working to make progress, you are making progress. Sometimes you feel like you're not, but you are. If you're working at it, you are, whether you see immediate results or not. You are making progress. And we're reminded. Go ahead. We're reminded here that, um, you know, if we're down or we, we just can't find the right way, pick up that hymnal and just sing those hymns. Just go through the hymns, boy, it can just lift you and put you back in the right spot. So thank you. Yes, thank you. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. That's an important point. You know, uh, sometimes, uh, and I don't mean this church at all, right? But, you know, in that sort of general Christian science world, uh, people look at reading Christian science from a clinical point of view, sort of academic, you know, scientific thinking study it and so forth and kind of forget, well, we should sing with joy. We should read a psalm. We should sing a hymn. Thank you. Yeah, that was something a practitioner told Mrs. Evans to sing seven hymns a day. <laughs> you you cannot feel sad after you've done that. Try it. <laughs> it's true. It's got to be true. Mm-hmm. So good beginning. Thank you, Tom. Okay. So I hope um, people who are um, just calling in and just listening, you're seeing how, uh, you know, um, we're learning some great things from Mary Baker Eddy. And uh, also we're getting these insights from the Bible. So, you know, these these are um, our two pastors, right? Science and health and Bible. So we looked at both of them, which is why we have the Bible study. And we're studying Revelation, and this has been going on for a while, and uh, partly we're studying it, I think, because of all the things going on in the world to put things into perspective. Another part is there is a lot to learn in the book of Revelation, but it can be very, very confusing. So we're very grateful to a lot of people, and we've got links up here um, by Reverend Kratzer, Carolyn Getty, um, Irving uh, Tomlinson. Um, and they've done a lot of work for us to help us understand the uh, book of Revelation. So one of the things I like about Tomlinson is he gives a summary for each of the visions. So we've put in here um, like a, a, a summary of what he said for each of the visions to kind of like, have we learned from that? So, you know, if, if any of these resonate and, and you're saying, oh, I'm not sure I really learned put that about that or whatever go back whether it's vision one two three or or four today and read the summary by Tomlinson and say okay am i understanding what we went through in these bible studies so given the um, the recap here of the visions we've been through including today vision one from Tomlinson is the first step um the statement of the truth of being for vision two this is from Thomason. The second step is the denial of error and the affirmation of truth. Vision three. The third step is demonstrating the nothingness of matter and the allness of spirit. So visions one, two, and three have given us an excellent foundation. Like I said, if you feel um, you didn't capture all that, go back and read the uh, summary by Thomason. So in Vision 4, Thomason writes, the uh, first three steps prepare our thoughts to receive the revelation of Christian science. Vision 
Thank you. And here we are. Here we are. Yep. And that's great because it does simplify. And we talk about a lot of different things, but it's always good to keep things simple. And Tomlinson certainly was very spiritually minded and inspired. And spent 12 years with Mrs. Eddie. And I should add in there, sometimes people have different interests when they read and study the book of Revelation. So we also use uh, another book. Um, uh, but if so, if you're more interested in the, some of the Bible history or facts and so forth, um, that's the book by Edith Hoyt. So it's a very good book, but it's a different perspective. So like Kratzer gives us one way of of trying to understand it and Tomlinson another way to try and understand it. And it's all about trying to understand the same thing. Yes. Okay, we're ready for vision four. Okay, well, I guess so, but any other thoughts about first, second, third steps and <clears throat> Hello. That was yeah. very wonderful to share that. Thank you. What's the name of the last book that you said? You said the author, but what was the name of the book? Oh, her name is Edith Hoyt. I don't know much about her, but I presume she was a Christian scientist. And I think she even had family that went to Principia. And she used to go around and give um, uh, um, lectures, I guess, on uh, not not from the Boston Church, but on the Bible. She wrote quite a bit. She did some recordings of her talks. And my mother went through <clears> her <throat> study on the book on the book of Revelation. Um so in the notes I put here, I see I'm kind of looking for this. Um okay. So in the notes that are attached to this Bible study, um it's it's listed in there on page eleven. And it's the studies in the apocalypse of John of Patmos, a non-interpretive and literary approach of the last book of the English Bible by Edith Hoyt. It was 1954 when it was published. So there's a link to archive.org, and so you can read it online. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So our question for today is, uh, what is the lesson found in Vision 4? So this is Revelations uh, chapter 12, verse starting with verse 1, going through chapter 14, verse 20. And Thomason talks about this in pages of his book in pages 186 to 201. Well, first of all, Mrs. Eddy tells us in the textbook that this vision has special reference to the 19th century. It's kind of a description of what is happening today, isn't it? Starting with Mrs. Eddy's life in the 1800s through the early 1900s and continuing today. There's an article by Association Address by Herbert Rieke. It's in his volume, Association Addresses, Volume 3. And it's in his address, Applauding God of 1953. And in it is the last, the last part of this address is on Revelation. And so he talks about the fourth vision. And one thing I saw was what, which just Ruth just brought up is she said, he says the fourth part of a seven point apocalypse is always considered the most important. It is the keystone, as it were, because the number four is in the center of the figure seven. 
So this next or fourth vision is considered very important. And it is the one that you are all familiar with. Our leader explains it on in detail. That's the one she talks about so it's like in Apocalypse in her in her our textbook. Um, but I just thought that was interesting. But like Bruce said, it is this fourth part is the is the most important part. And um and I and I wrote of course the number seven and the four and I go, Oh yeah, that's very interesting. I never saw that. Um, anyway, it's... yeah, that is. Thank you. Yeah, <clears throat> and that was Gary who spoke, but uh, <laughs> thank you anyway. Gary, yeah, sorry, Bruce. Sorry, yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, no apologies necessary. That's <laughs> yeah. You all can't see us. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, you're right because it's it's a description of the final destruction <laughs> of all error. And that's got to be pretty important. Absolutely. And it comes with with the the woman, right, with her little book. That's yeah. which is very stirring. When any great point of advancement comes, and it most certainly did, but in its wake, the world reacts to it. You know, we've read the description here. There's war in heaven. There's all kinds of things going on here. And it is error self-destructing. So that's not such a bad thing. And uh, it clears the air and opens the door for more progress. But it started with this point of great spiritual gain being attained. And uh, obviously, as we know, when Mary Baker Eddy came upon this earth, got that vision and wrote that textbook and watered and planted her vineyard, there was a great, great gain done. And of course, in the aftermath, there's the conflict of error self-destructing itself. But it's got to happen. Yeah, I've heard many people say what an exciting time this is to live in, and we must feel that way. It is. It, sometimes it seems like good grief. But, but um, it is. It's this era coming out from hiding to destroy itself. You might have to hang on to your hat, but um, let it rip, as they say. <laughs> yeah, hang on, yeah, hang on to your hat, exactly. Because I mean, it, but, but through the history of mankind, I mean, we, we've, we've seen it over and over again, haven't we? When Jesus came and brought Christianity, this was such a radical change, improvement for mankind. All the old established isms rose up to fight because it meant their destruction and they didn't want to be destroyed. And you had a lot of people who were mesmerized by them who tried to destroy the truth by destroying Jesus. And they thought they did, but they didn't because it can't be done. And, and it goes, and now Mrs. And, Eddy. And same thing when Mrs. Eddy discovered and gave birth to the science of Christianity which is what Jesus prophesied and promised would come because the world wasn't ready for it in his time. But it was ready for it when Mrs. Eddy discovered it and gave it to the world. All the isms in the world are now, have been, then and continue to try to destroy the truth by destroying they tried to destroy her and her followers. Yeah. They tried to dis they're trying to destroy the organization, the church that she established. They can't, they couldn't crucify her. They couldn't actually crucify her followers. So instead, they did everything else that they could possibly do. The the they took over, they violated the manual centralized control and then the great litigation in violation of the deed of trust continued to centralize control then they started excommunicating the best members so that they could minimize their influence on the world or try to in try to minimize it they 
they threw away, burned, and hid all the best books that were written by the best members so that the world wouldn't have those books, which is why we are publishing them and selling them and making them available. Locked up a lot of things into the archives. They, they hid things in the archives. They, it's, this is all the human mind. This is the, the um, you know, the old false beliefs that Christian science came to destroy, which it, which it will destroy, because these false beliefs in their attempt to destroy the truth will destroy themselves. Yeah. And we should, we should be aware of what's going on here so that we don't get sucked into a, a human battle. It's not people. We can't hate people for what they've done. We can't fight them on human terms. In the this, court or any other way. We can't fight <laughs> them in the human court. No. God protects his truth. And he protects those who, who live his truth. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, no one has written better on this than Mrs. Eddy in her chapter on Apocalypse. Uh, no commentary anywhere. Only, only science can explain what's happening. And I thank God for that, because otherwise nothing would make a lot of sense at all. Um, so the bat- I, I wanted to read something from the chapter on the apocalypse. Good, okay. So this is on page 562, line, starting line 24. The spiritual idea is typified by a woman in travail waiting to be delivered of her sweet promise but remembering no more her sorrow for joy that the birth goes on for great is the idea and the travail portentous now that's a lot of words um one reason i read it is because in tomlinson he summarizes it and i'll quote tomlinson he says here woman's revelation brings forth Christian science. Yes. Yeah. Amen. And that, see, and that is the joy we should all feel. What greater joy could we have? I know. I mean, there is no greater joy, and to be not to be focused on all this that seems to be going wrong here, there, and everywhere, but to focus on this tremendous truth that we have, and to to get deeper into it so that we understand it more, seek our refuge there. It is the rock, just like that poem. Um, it's the rock that will keep us safe as all this era is destroying itself. Um, but don't. As I say, don't come out of the Father's house. Stay there. Stay on the rocks. Stay in the ark, whatever you want to call it. But stay there and keep your joy and don't let it uh, make you angry or hateful or any of those things. I wanted to share with you because we've referred to this quite a bit. um, And I found it in, uh, it's by David Keaston. What prospers healing? We've talked about it before in many ways, but it it applies to this Bible study because it applies to the fact that they did, they, whoever they is, but try to take Mrs. Eddy out as being the woman that we just spoke about, the woman in Revelation, the woman with a little book, which we know she is. Nothing else makes sense. Um, Both David Keaston and Paul Smiley and others have written very well on this topic. And yes, Bliss Knapp, The Destiny of the Mother Church. But anyway, if you haven't read this, you should. What Prosperous Healing by David Keaston. It's 14 pages. Um, To her trusted student, Judge Hannah, Mrs. Eddy wrote, 
Keeping the truth of her character before the public will help the students and do more than all else for the cause. Christianity in its purity was lost by defaming and killing its defenders. Do not let this period repeat this mistake. The truth in regard to your leader heals the sick and saves the sinner. The lie has just the opposite effect, and the evil one that leads all evil in this matter knows this more clearly than do the Christian scientists in general. And that's from the Blue Book, page 109. And then on August 26, 1902, she made this statement, timeless statement, also to Judge Hannah. Whoever opens most the eyes of the children of men to see aright and to understand aright, that idea on earth that has best and clearest reflected by word or deed the divine principle of man and the universe will accomplish most for himself and mankind in the direction of all that is good and true. In Mary Baker Eddy's classes, similar statements have been recorded in Sue Harper Mims' recollection, an intimate picture of our leader's final class is related a story in which Mrs. Eddy asked Mrs. Mims to provide the explanation of the scriptural passage from Luke, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. The stone, I said, was the consecrated human belief that life was limited, and they saw that life had rolled it away and that man was immortal that he was never born and never dies. I closed by saying, they saw what our beloved mother has through science and health enabled us to see. Through the book we have seen all they saw and more, and we owe it all to her, to this beloved one who is God's messenger today. When I had given her back the book and gone back to my seat, Mrs. Eddy said in effect, you have given a very beautiful exegesis of the text. But I have one objection. I may say I have one fault to find. It was not necessary to mention me. Then I wish you could have seen that class. One arose with wet eyes and said, Mother, how could we forget you? Judge Hannah got up, and it was one of the most heart-rending things I've ever heard in my life, as he said. Mother, let me tell you this. Sometimes all the machinations of evil that are conceivable to the human mind seem hurled at us. And sometimes for days the world seems black. Every argument that the ingenuity of evil can suggest whispers, trying to hide your mission. And the light returns only when we see you as you are, the revelator of this truth. Others spoke on the same line. It was the most beautiful thing, and you see that was the most beautiful thing, and you see that had to be brought out. She had to be acknowledged, and yet while they were speaking, you have never seen such humility, self, such self-effacement in your life. And then she said, according to my recollections, my dear children, if you had not seen it, I should have had to teach you this. I could not have avoided telling you that when my students become blinded to me as the one through whom truth has come to this age, they go, they go straight down. I would have had to tell you. Now, it's so beautiful. That was her final class. And what's so wonderful is that we can take part in it by hearing these stories. And then Keiston asks, you know, why are these things in the archives? Why are they so hard to find these, these books? Why are just the more modern writers available who never even knew Mrs. Eddy? Why? I'm constantly referenced, yeah. And, and, and many of whom don't know the science. Right. That's exactly right. right. And then this, a quote, <laughs> For the world to understand me in my true light in life would do more for the cause than aught else would. This I learned from the fact that the enemy tries harder to hide these things from the world than to win any other points. 
Also, Jesus' life and character and their first appearing were treated in like manner. I regret to see that loyal students are not more awake to this great demand in their measures to meet the enemy's tactics. And that's again the blue book. And then she, she, this, excuse me, Keeson also quotes from, uh, from Joseph Mann. Now, and he questions too, why is it so hard to find Joseph Mann? We happen to have him on our website. Thank God that we do. Um, and he, he speaks about Mary Baker Eddy had much to contend with in her day with intellectuality, what we call intellectualism today. Joseph Mann, a treasured student of our leaders, has preserved the essence of some of these instructive trials that even today obscure in greater measure a proper understanding of the woman and retard the healing progress of our cause. Plausible intellectualists was the term employed by Joseph Mann in describing those opposers of Mrs. Eddy's day that through her own human concept resisted the true spiritual sense of Mary Baker Eddy, the right sense that is so necessary to seeing her as God sees her. This spiritual sense based in gratitude and reverence for her is essential for the success of healing and the growth of our church. Plausible, that word means superficially pleasing. Superficially pleasing intellectualists. I will spew you out. This this has gotten into the the mix of things. You know, just in as in Constantinople, you know, he got into the Christianity of things and turned it into the Pope, saying he was, you know, into Christian, into Christianity, but he wasn't. He really didn't understand it. You get the human mind into things, it ruins, it bollocks everything. And then Keeson says, have you ever seen this reminiscence by Joseph Mann for his 1923 class instruction? Why not? <laughs> and um, and he was the one. What happened to him? He was the one that was shot. Yes. And that recovered. Yeah. Had a fatal gunshot wound to the heart. He was healed. And he was healed. So this, this kind of thing is so important. As you all know, Carpenter's writings, all these wonderful writings that have been, oh, my goodness, how they tried to, to keep them hidden from the people, keep them hidden so we wouldn't know how to watch and do this work. When Mrs. Eddy said watching was the most important thing we needed to do to further her cause. So. Yes, the human mind has corrupted and turned, well, it couldn't turn anything. Mrs. Eddy's science exists in perfection. But this organization, this human concept, all of this plausible intellectuality is going to destroy itself. It already is. Thank you. Well, along, along those, oh. Can Go you ahead. hear me? Yes. yes. Thank you for sharing all these very important things. Uh, you said something about, uh, like, taking her, taking Mary Baker Lady, like, away from things, you know. And it just reminded me how subtle it is today, uh, the situations when Ero tries to take us away from the thing, like, really get us all the way out when we really need to be there and you know fight the spiritual battle uh it, sometimes it's so subtle i have realized afterwards oh my gosh this was just taking me away from this group or this activity so that error can just stay and do its thing and i thought it was so important for you to mention that thank you you're welcome. Thank you. And, and you know, I, I do love the Kratzer book because he brings it to me very relevant. And he refers to the beast, the two beasts, one being the government and the second being ecclesiastical despotism, basically. Um, he says something interesting on page 295. In our own country, neither the abolition of slavery 
nor the abolition of alcoholic intemperance, nor the equal suffrage movement received any encouragement at the start from the churches. Isn't that interesting? Now, what church did, did support all this? Who did to support all of these things? Mary Baker Eddy did. Mary Baker Eddy did. All of those things she spoke to. There wasn't any question in her mind on any of this. While the the Christian churches, some of them became very temperate. Yes, I'll spew thee out, neither hot nor cold. And there's a huge responsibility among the church as as to what is going on in our country now. Because if the churches has had done what they should have, preserved Mrs. Eddie's Christian science, preserved Christ Jesus's Christ Christianity, we would be light years ahead of where we are. Is that not correct? It is correct. Yes, it is correct. Yes. So the churches are material organizations anyway. So they are material organizations. You know, it was one thing in the um, in that Harriet movie. It broke my heart. These these slave owners are sitting there having a church service when, in the meantime, they're whipping people. I mean, what's with that? And, and other other things that do not align with Christianity, not Christ's Christianity. So it's no wonder people have turned from it and said, "I don't want to have anything to do with it." And That's it calls itself Christianity. That is the lie. That is the lie. That is the beast, the second beast. And it would try to control everything, the government controlling everything, including your religion, what you think, including your health care. It takes over everything subtly, but it's doing it. And it's not so subtle anymore. It's not so subtle. I pray people are seeing what's happening and waking up. And also, while I'm at it, this is the weekend that the Satanists are in Boston. Um, and to that, the hell you say. Um, <laughs> and it's in the lesson, where sin doth abound, what? Grace doth more abound. Doth much more abound. So right where that's abounding, grace much more abounds. And that's the regeneration of people's hearts to the Christ. That's all that's going on, because only good can can be going on. So that will implode itself, and Christ's Christianity will be in the hearts of all men everywhere. It has to be. The basis of all creation is that people are naturally and inherently good. Therefore, they recognize good. Therefore, they also recognize evil for what it is. It's just part of our nature, naturally. That's who we are. This is God's creation. No one else's. That's it. And that's why we have a responsibility for educating our children correctly. So that they don't get brainwashed by all the garbage that is trying to enter our schools. Yes, we do very good watches on that. They do. We do. Very good watches on the children. Go ahead. And then Tomlinson, when, when it's spoken about the beast, Mr. Tomlinson, he directs us to 503 in Genesis in Science and Health. And he says, uh, let's see, no supposition of error enters here, there. Divine science, the word of God saith to the darkness upon the face of our, he's talking about the face of the beast, God is all and all, and the light of ever-present love illumines the universe. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Shardy is full of wonderful watches. <laughs> and, and yes, and this is how we make this revelation practical to ourselves today and now. Because it needs to be, and we see, we see clearly who's who and what's what, and we can't be fooled by false impressions. Um, no, and that's and that goes along with chapter twelve in Revelation. The woman was clothed with the sun, which is the light of spirit, the light of truth, spiritual light. 
closed. There wasn't anything else. And that is the science of Christianity. And that is why error is destroying itself. It can't do anything else. That's it. That's all error can do is destroy itself. Always remember that. Can't do anything else. So even when you see it just be raging, just know, well, when it's howled and howled, it's done nothing, Mrs. Eddy says. So I just wanted to add something to what you said earlier about uh, the Boston Church, um, you know, making available things written in recent times and not by the early workers. So there was a, a book written by William Johnson, who um, he was, uh, I guess, a composer and musician, and he wrote some of the music for some of the hymns with Mary Baker Eddy's poems, right? Yeah. And his father was one of the first four directors of the church, and so he wrote a history of the Christian science. Yet you can't buy that from the Boston Church. And the perverse thing is, they actually reference it in some of their footnotes and some of the stuff that they write, but you can't get a copy of it from them. Right. And it's also described in almost pejorative terms as, quote, historical data. Mm. He can't, historical data. And then it, what it has it in here, it says that uh, um, this is what William Johnson writes, that not only should you be reading the latest copy of the uh, science and health, but you should read and study the earlier ver- versions. And this is, and he also writes about what we've talked about before, a card that was put in the journal, but he quotes this saying that, um, uh, I consider my students as capable individually of selecting their own reading matter and circulating it. Um, so he, um, didn't restrict people on what they they could read. Thank so you. that was written by William Johnson. Thank you. Right. Mary Bigaretti, of course. You know. Very point. Right. And in the Tomlinson book that they don't want you to read now, taken out of the reading rooms, it, it quotes the, the 88th manual saying Christian science churches should be independent with no interference of, by any other church. And they don't want you to read that. It's plain as day. Because these books are a rebuke to their disobedience of the manual. You know, could we, um, maybe for new students or new people here, uh, mention maybe some of of those books? Um, I'm thinking when we say we know it, but maybe there are people that don't. If there's time, can we just like maybe five or six or something of those books so people might want to go get them or read them. Is that a good idea? 12 Years by Mary Baker Eddy, or 12 Years with Mary Baker Eddy by Irving Tomlinson, The Destiny of the Mother Church by Bliss Knapp, Mary Baker Eddy, Her Spiritual Footsteps by Gilbert Carpenter, the three Greckle books. Yeah. Do you know the names of Dorothy Greckle. Dorothy. Doris Greckle. Yeah. Trilogy. Um, the other thing that keeps coming to my mind is uh, Discerning the Rights of Man by yes, uh, by Richard Oakes. Richard Oakes, yes. Very important. Discerning the Rights of Man by Richard Oakes. Cradle to Purity. I thought that was Sybil Wilbur. Thank yeah. you, Sybil Wilbur. Yeah. And she's written another one, too, The Life of Mary Baker Eddy. Yeah. Yes. Both mm-hmm. of them are good. But we have a list of them due to Tom on our website, all the good biographies we have on our website. We also have the William Lyman Johnson History of the Mother Church. I know Joe typed that whole thing up. So you can get all of this on our website. And everyone should have the History of Christian Science by William Lyman Johnson. Um, He was there. His father was there. It's very, very interesting. And... I do believe we emphasize the the importance of reading the Bible, science and health and prose works every day consecutively. Take notes, study like a textbook. These books are our textbooks. And then add to that 
a biography about Mrs. Eddy or something like a history of the Christian science, because otherwise uh, you don't know fact from fiction and we must know the facts. And the other thing it does for you, it, it kindles a great deep respect and love for what happened. It does. And that is essential. That takes it out of the intellectual realm and puts it into the heart of the matter. Yes, yes. Another thing that brings out, which also came to me very strongly, was this idea, oh, you're worshiping Mrs. Eddy if you think she's a woman in the apocalypse. That is their standard back-off comments. Well, I say to that, you back off, because we're not worshiping her. We're respecting her place. And not only that, this was not something that she willfully wanted for herself. God appointed her. What could she do except fulfill what God appointed for her to do? Absolutely. And you heard from the last thing we read, that last class, how humbly she took it. And also, I read through the Doris Greco biographies. There was a point, in, many points in time where Mrs. Eddy was disturbed and troubled about what step to take next. On one of those events, she took off to get some reprieve. And in this this, this time away, alone with her maker, it was revealed to her that she was the woman of the apocalypse and her peace returned. Now she came back to her work and she didn't go um, shooting her mouth off and publishing <laughs> unwisely. Thank God she wisely didn't do that. But it gave her some peace and focus, and she carried on. It was also, it, it coincided with the time that that Woodbury person was accusing her of being insane. Now, if she came out with something like that, the human mind would think, whoa, she really is insane. So, so she was very, very quiet on that point. Rightfully um, so. She couldn't at that time. But those times are over. And now the time has well passed for this to be known. And I, I do think most people do know it, but maybe there's some that don't. And I don't know, but it's the truth. And, and, and it has to I, be known for the sake of mankind. It does. Yes. We would be derelict in our duty if we didn't explain the truth about it. In these wonderful writings, like What Prospers Healing? Why don't we have the healing that we should? This is one of the major points in seeing her as, as who she is. It, it creates a huge power. This book is not just some book written by a nice woman. This is the very word of God given to us by God. And I mean, we should just be, oh my gosh, so like thrilled, excited, thankful that we have it. And yet as, as wonderful as all this is, she also had the humility to say things like this quote in Science and Health. Advance from the rudiments laid down. As great as she knew all this revelation was, still had the humility to say, hey, you guys go and advance from, and she said rudiments. She didn't say, you know, from this last truth or anything like that. Just rudiments. It's a very primitive writing. Uh, that's beautiful, that combination of, of the greatness, but also the humility and also to let us know that we have our part to do. Yeah, and, and you know, the greatness of, of Christ Jesus and Mrs. Eddy, the humility goes hand in hand. You cannot be great unless you're humble, because otherwise you, you're leaning on your own self and orbit without God. It is, it is that humility that brings about true greatness. Jesus was very clear when he said that he could himself do nothing but it was the Father that dwelleth in him. That's what did the work. Yes. As, right. as Mrs. Yeah, and correspondingly, Mrs. Eddy said she was a scribe under orders. And, and follow none me. Of, none, of this, none of this came from her human intellect. She was Possibly. a scribe under orders. And follow me only as far as I follow Christ. Christ. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah.
And that should be that should true. Be our example. Our example too uh, of this church of everyone here. Yeah. You know. Now it says in Revelation, the earth helped the woman. Didn't say some material organization or big structured <laughs> thing would help the woman. Yeah. And it sometimes it seems like it's just a remnant, but there is a faithful remnant that will keep the pure idea going and preserve it. And that's that's all that's needed. That's all that's needed. In in the um, Kratzer book, he says each person needs to be even more watchful to subdue these beasts within that than to keep free from the domination by their magnified activities in the world without. In fact, he who has become free from their inward domination cannot and will not be dominated by them outwardly. He will sooner suffer physical death if necessary. At any cost, he will keep his name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and so will have his part in the first resurrection. Um, he brings out that, you know, when error, error tries everything it does to get you. And, and if it can't, it will appeal to your base instincts. That's why we have all these people rolling around in bed with each other. Okay. And then other things um, trying to trip you out uh, one way or another. And it is why I quote often, because it always impressed me. Only the pure in heart will survive the latter days. You can't have that hook in you. It'll bring you down if you do. And you don't have to because you're you're the divine image. So there you are. Anybody else now, please? Or because uh, I well, and, and I remember uh, reading in the early days when Mrs. Eddy was just discovering this science, and it was radical. And she was looking, you know, she was kind of waiting for students to, you know, to come to her. Uh, she had, and and she was uh, without a husband, without a uh, without a means of of uh, supporting herself. Her sister offered to give her a home if she would give up this mm -hmm. silly idea. So, you know, I'm sure there were times when she was hungry. I'm sure there were times when she felt all alone. I'm sure there were times when she felt discouraged. And yet, all the material you know, so-called comforts that were offered to her, she turned down to follow this leading, this mission, this calling that God had prepared her for. That's why, you know, when you hear people feeling discouraged or whatever else and thinking they're going to give up, I think, goodness, think of what Mrs. Eddy went through or what Christ Jesus went through. Very often with zero rewards, zippo, okay, zippo rewards. No tangible proof that they were getting anywhere with anybody. And yet. Uh, today's, uh, today's calendar statement is that gratitude and discouragement cannot exist together. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yet those two people changed the world more than anybody else. That they did. So we play a very, probably minute part in all of this, but to the best that we can, the best we know how. Anyone else? Karen, did you have anything you want to sometimes? Or you're saying anything we can't hear you um. yes I, I I just opened a little while ago to 563 and the, the the top paragraph I just you know sort of sums up what we've been what's been talked about today but 
she says, human sense may well marvel at discord, while to a diviner sense, harmony is the real and discord the unreal. We may well be astonished at sin, sickness, and death. We may well be perplexed at human fear and still more astounded at hatred, which lifts its hydra head, showing its horns in the many inventions of evil. But why should we stand aghast at nothingness? Thank so, you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, remember, I <laughs> remember that it is. It's it's the Adam dream. We're we're watching a dream, just like watching a soap opera on television. It's not the truth, but we mustn't just shrug no. our shoulders and say, "Oh, it's not the truth," and go on our merry way. As we talk about often here, it has to be handled and proved to be nothing. Unless you've proved it to be nothing, then you haven't done anything. Oh, and that Thank you for bringing that great quote. Uh, could we give the page or something for people that may not be so? Yes, it's page 563 in Science and Health in the Apocalypse chapter. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I just wanted to go back to that thought that we worship Mrs. Eddy, and she wrote in the message for 1900, if the right thinker and worker's servitude is duly valued, he is not thereby worshipped. Thank you. They who love a good work or good workers are themselves workers who appreciate a life and labor to awaken the slumbering capability of man. So. Thank you <laughs> Thank very you. much. And where was that? Message for 1900. Thank you. Yeah, she does speak out about it in, in her book, in her authorized things. Yes. Because and I just think the safest place to keep yourself is that thought that we are expressions of soul, you know, so <laughs> you're not, you're not the one calling the shots, but you are here to do your part. You know, she did her part, Jesus did his part, and just do your part. Do your part. Thank you. And that's Thank enough. You. Thank you. Yeah. Bruce? Just wanted to thank Tom again for writing that, finding that poem. If anybody reads this poem, you can't help but have a, a genuine love and respect for Mary Baker Eddy and her willingness to follow the divine leading. Thank you. It's an amazing poem. Florence? Yes. Anything you want to? <laughs> I just love the idea of, you know, the upward, up, upward journey, upward, onward, because many of the other articles tell, tell us that no matter what we know that God is working with us, it is God working with us. Therefore, we go forward anyway, upward, heavenward. That's it. Thank you. And also, we all, just like Mrs. Eddie and Christ Jesus, we all have our niche. One of the watches in 500 watching points, we all have our niche in this whole thing. So we all have our place, our purpose here. And we're the ones that are here now are the ones that are needed to fulfill. You know, we're fulfilling this whole so I, I think that's an important part, too, is that we're all fulfilling our, we each have our own niche to play in this. Thank you. Yeah, living, living stones, we each in our place. That's a huge point because too many people are living their life uh, aimlessly. They need just to say, hey, God put them here for a purpose. Let's go for it. Yeah. Now it heals so many things. Yeah. yeah. That's a great point. It said in one of the, Great articles you guys have recorded in the website place, and it says the work that is for you to do, only you can do it. And that always kind of brings me like, hey, get going because this is my work and, and nobody else is to do it, but it's appointed to me. A very great waking point. Great article, place, and thank you so much for your great recordings. Thank you, Ingrid. Tom, you want to conclude? Yeah, so so uh, I, I read uh, sort of the summary from Tomlinson when we started out. And so 
vision four we've talked about today was about the revelation of Christian science. So we're going to look forward when we discuss vision five, that's about resistance to the revelation. And then so we don't get any depressed over that, of course we won't. <laughs> We're joyful and thankful, and we can read Mary Baker Eddy's poems. But vision six is about uh, how the resistance vanishes with the, the uh, demonstration of Christian science. Wonderful. So I think we have a lot of good things to learn, and, and uh, I hope people are seeing that uh, what seems so confusing in Revelation is actually we can learn uh, from this, you know, how to conduct ourselves as Christians and Christian scientists and go about our lives, right? That it is relevant yeah. to us now. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Linda? Go ahead. No, I also, I just want to think, you know, when we talk about all these things, I'm thinking of the universal message that this whole Christian science is and how, you know, somehow I'm sure that truth is all over the world within each one, you know, impelling this truth so that people can know it too, whether they're reading science and health or not. That's right. Thank you. And that's why we have 16 websites in languages other than English. Yeah. And that's why many people who know nothing of the Bible or science and health are living this truth because they're the image and likeness of God, too. And so they instinctively know what's right and wrong. And, um, and they have the courage yeah. to live. They have the courage to live it. It's blessing yeah. everyone everywhere. Implausible intellectuality didn't sway them away yeah. from it. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to express my gratitude for the lesson writers. I felt like what we were really learning in this uh, Bible study was uh, the footsteps of truth. And of course, we have that chapter in Science and Health, Mrs. Eddy wrote. But in the first page, it's got two quotes from. Uh, our lesson, and the one was about passion, selfishness, false appetites, hatred, fear, all sensuality, yield to spirituality, and the superabundance of being is on the side of God good. And then the other one is the way to extract air from mortal mind is to pour in truth through flood tides of love. End quote. And then I, I just felt like our lesson was right on with what we were talking about. And I, I just didn't know that's where those quotes were from. I thought it was interesting to find out that they were probably at the beginning of Footsteps to Truth. Thank you. That is interesting. That's one of the great thank things you can read from the books instead of the full text. Yes. <laughs> so thank you. So, she gives it all thank here you. to do, to disrobe air. And if not, can't feel vessels already full. It's just all in this chapter and it's beautifully read on our website by two people so you can Thank listen you. to it too yeah mm -hmm. good yes read and listen science and health yes definitely okay we well, thank you very much. All right. Thank you, yeah, everyone. Thank you all, thank you all for so, joining us. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a blessed day, everybody.